Be it superstition or just an apparition, you suddenly appear inside my heart. Does this strange romance stand ghost of a chance? Welcome to the wonderful Bleeding Green Nation Radio Podcast Network. I am your host on the From the Bleachers show, as always, Seamus Clancy. And our pets' heads are falling off right now after a crushing 17-10 loss. Again, like, if you were going into the last week's game against the Patriots and you tell me, oh, they lost by seven, they had a chance to win at the end, I'd be like, you know what? Like, I'm not a moral victory guy in the slightest, especially when it comes to Eagles, maybe back in the day with the Sixers or Phillies or things like that. But hey, that sounds like they fought hard. The defense played well. They stuck it out and they had a chance at the end. But having watched the entire game, my feelings like that aren't like that in the slightest. The slightest. First of all, they're up 10-0. If they were down 17-0, came back and went, lost 17-10, isn't it weird that my entire feelings about the game shifted? But at one point in time, in the second quarter, they were up 10-0, ended up cutting the lead at half to 10-9, the Patriots did, and I still still feeling good to go in the half. Hey, we have one-point lead. If you know, I, I did not expect this at all in the second quarter, and it happened, and I'm good with it. Let's roll into the second half, and just things fell apart. Things fell apart offensively. Over the course of this season, we've seen Doug Peterson... Coach better as the game went on. The first quarter of games throughout this season, and even last year, and again, we this is something we criticize Mike Groh about as someone who should be scripting the first 15 or so plays of the game, someone who's in charge of game planning and going into the week based coming off the bye, setting up what the offense is going to look like for the game until Doug actually calls the plays later on. They started hot. I don't want hot's way, way over the top. They started well. They did that third downfield of Boston's got in the first play of the game drew a defensive pass interference i think it was a 49 yard penalty and i like the aggressiveness but at the same time if the best deep threat on your team right then is the what fourth string running back that you signed on the street last month well not on the street your practice squad whatever you want to say things aren't looking good the same way that miles sanders has weirdly been their best deep threat even though he's their what second best running second string running back i don't want to necessarily say second best it's just deflating like they had a chance to win at the end and carson Wentz. i'm one of the biggest carson Wentz defenders you'll ever meet there were throws on that last drive and throughout the fourth quarter overall where he had a chance to put the team in a better position to win. And he just didn't. Execution was poor. But at the same time, it's those things where he misses a couple of key passes. And then when the game is on the line, on the line, he goes into Hercules Superman mode and got immediate rushed on that fourth and 10 at the end of the game, threw off his back foot off kilter and still somehow found the ball to be in the back of the end zone at the perfect placement for Nelson Aguilar to come with the catch. And Nelson Aguilar who was one of the worst deep ball trackers I've ever seen. And again, I'm not some big NFL scout guy looking at all 22 film around the league. I'll leave that to the Michael Kist and Benjamin Solax of the world. But looking at the video Kist broke down on Twitter, I think either Sunday night or yesterday. I'm recording this on Tuesday, Tuesday, early Tuesday, late Tuesday morning. Probably get this later in the afternoon today, ideally. The ball hung in the air for like, Aguilar had about 30 yards to track the ball. The ball hung in the air. Great. It was perfect hang time, like a fantastic Cam Johnson punt. And it dropped in there and Aguilar hit him in the hands and he dropped it. Again, was it the easiest catch in the world? No. But for a guy who's built up a little goodwill throughout this season in Aguilar to come down and not catch that ball was just excruciating. It felt like that summed up the entire Eagle season. Things were close. Wentz didn't play amazing. But when it came down to the line, Wentz gave the team a chance to win through a pretty ball. Eh, pretty is not the right word. It just, it was the right throw. It was a great throw. Given the situation, off his back foot, pressure in his face, couldn't have placed the ball better. 
and Aguilar didn't come up with it. And I think back to something Noah Becker, great Eagles fan, fellow Penn alum, uh, great follow on Twitter if you're a big Eagles fan, very rational, very smart, very intelligent. He tweeted, you know, Wentz, just a little bit of a disappointing season, as he said. And, you know, the expect- expectation was that he's going to be a, what, top six to eight quarterback. And he's been kind of a top eight to 14 quarterback given the supporting cast, the poor play calling, things like that. And while that's a little disappointed, and this is my take that, the Tom Brady's and Russell Wilson's and Aaron Rodgers of the world elevate their supporting cast no matter who they're surrounded by. And Carson has yet to do that in his young career. But again, I don't want to play the maybe game too much because every team in every sport can play the maybe game. But three different times a season in the fourth quarter, whether it be the game winning or game tying or however you want to say a touchdown, Carson Wentz put the ball, hit his receivers in the hand three times and the receivers didn't come up with it. Whether it's Aguilar in week two against Atlanta where he could have caught that pass, ran straight out of the end zone to the locker room, to the team bus, to the airport against the Falcons on Sunday football or week three, one o'clock home game where Wentz throws it up, hits Arcega Whiteside, Arcega Whiteside, I'm sorry, in the hands. The jump ball specialist, J.J. Arcega Whiteside, the next Alshon Jeffrey and his lone real jump ball attempt of the season did not come with the ball and has been in the coach's doghouse ever since. I don't know what's going on in practice, but something is wrong when, again, he saw the field a little bit more Sunday than he has over the course of the rest of the season. But that guy's getting outsnapped by Jordan Matthews, who wasn't on the team a week and a half ago, and Matt Collins, who should just go ride his bike to Siberia. And there's something wrong there. And then that brings us again, circling back to Sunday, where Aguilar had a chance to catch the ball at the end of the game, did not come with it. Again, a tough catch, but a catch that he needs to make, given the situation, given how he's performed this year, given... The entire narrative and conversation surrounding him as a player and his impending free agency and the way he's performed over the last year or two and the way he's fallen sharply from being that Super Bowl hero that he was on the night of February 4th, 2018. There's just something wrong. He's obviously his days in Midnight Green are numbered. He won't be back with the team next year, which is fine. I'm not calling for him to be back. I don't want him to be back next year. And he won't be, so it's fine. But there's just so much with him. There's baggage. He's. I don't want to go far and say he's like, he's not Orlando Scandrick in my mind, but just there's an element of being a fraud to him. I think back to week one where Deshaun Jackson played incredible. His lone real game in Midnight Green this season. It'll be the last game he'll play this season as, you know, a starter who played the entire game. He played a little bit, what, in the first series in week two and then, you know, fell apart as he's wont to do as an injury-prone aging receiver. But in that first game, Aguilar, or Deshaun went for, I believe, eight catches, 152 receiving yards and two touchdowns. And after that game, the Eagles played phenomenally offensively in the second half. Again, it was against Washington, but... That's their one game with the entire receiving core intact. And they looked spectacular. And things have not looked spectacular since. Anyway, after that game, Aguilar does a little complaining to the media about not getting the ball enough. Not getting the ball enough. That's something I would expect Nelson Aguilar to say. He's not getting the ball enough. The team played great. He did not play well because he wasn't getting the ball. And he wanted the ball more. Again, I don't blame a guy for doing that. If you want to if you're winning and you're not getting the ball, sometimes you're okay with that. If you're losing and not getting the ball, that's a different story. And you think that you can help the team win more. I like that confidence. I like wanting the ball in your hand. But he's gotten ample opportunity since then as, you know, essentially de facto the Eagles' most talented receiver over the last two months. He hasn't done anything with it. Anything. He wanted the ball. He wanted the targets. He wanted to be the guy. And the Eagles have given him a chance to do those things and he's done none of them. He's crashed his free agent value as an impending free agent this offseason. I have no idea what kind of contract he's getting. He's not coming back to Philadelphia, that's for sure. He certainly wore out his welcome with both the team, with the city, with the fans, with everyone. 
cost himself millions and millions of dollars this season, which sucks. Like, I always want a guy to get paid. I want him, you know, I hope Aguilar makes whatever he does. Won't be with the Eagles, so it won't affect the Eagles' salary cap, so I don't really care what he makes. But just everything rubs me the wrong way about him. He wanted the ball, then he was able to be the guy, and he hasn't shown up at all. And then this was the worst part. After he doesn't come down with that catch against the Patriots on Sunday, he does that fake, ah, anguish, grabbing his knee thing. That was so embarrassing. When I say he's a fraud, I don't mean that he's a bad guy. I mean doing that as the biggest fraud move. What sympathy do you want from people? Do you want people to take pity on you? You're the guy who in week one, when the team played great, was complaining that he didn't get the ball. You've gotten two opportunities since then to either win or tie the game and force overtime. And you've done neither. The ball has hit you right in the hands. You have not come down with the ball. And after catching, after not catching the ball, just lying down there in the end zone, which I understand, tough moment. City's already up against you a little bit and they're hurting. And I would have respected it a lot more if he just kind of laid on the field for 30 seconds in anguish, 15 seconds, whatever. Or if he took his helmet off, was walking on the sideline and teared up. I don't care about guys crying. It's an emotional thing. That's their job. That's their livelihood. That's their life is playing football. When you don't do that, it's understandable to be upset. And it's fine for men to shed a tear sometimes. If he did that, I would have empathy for him. I would understand this is a man. He's human. He's hurting. He wants to do better, but he's not. And it sucks. He's not performing well here. And the fans are kind of running him out of town. But hey, he's human. To sit there, like on his butt, whatever he's doing, lying down. And grab his knee in anguish for like three seconds. And moan. And then realize how stupid he is for doing that. That is the fraud move I'm talking about. That's just unacceptable. Do you think we're so stupid that we don't know what you're doing? You're a clown with that stuff, dude. You wanted the ball, and then people gave you the ball, and you're not doing anything with it. You're going in motion. All you're doing around the team right now is just going in motion. That's your contribution to the team. Going in motion. Going in motion. Going to go in motion right out the door and to end up in Cleveland or Miami or Oakland. Have fun, pal. Oh, that's just, it's insulting. Like, do you want that pity? Do you crave that pity and attention? Just suck it up. I'm not going to say man up. I don't like when people say things like that. But dude, like you could have showed emotion in that situation and been totally fine and got the respect of the fan base. We did just did that fake. It's like when people were playing Chip Kelly and they wanted to slow down the offense. They go, ah, fake injury, my ankle. I just rolled an ankle. Call timeout. Call an injury timeout. What was the point of doing that, dude? What was the point? You've done literally everything this season to erase the goodwill of your Super Bowl winning season. Aguilar was a great slot receiver in 2017. Maybe that was just an anomaly in his career. He hasn't been that player before that season. He hasn't been that player since, certainly. But he played phenomenal in the Super Bowl. Had a couple key catches, whether it be third quarter, fourth quarter, on the games, the Eagles game-winning drive where Zach Ertz originally, eventually connected on a touchdown pass from Nick Foles. Aguilar was great on that drive, made a couple of really key catches, and ultimately, if Nelson Aguilar isn't on the 2017 Eagles, they don't win the Super Bowl. If that's Jordan Matthews instead of Nelson Aguilar, I don't believe the Eagles win the Super Bowl. They don't win that game. He played great. And it hurts that it's one of those things where, you know, we said for years, oh, if you do great, if you win in this town, we'll love you forever. You'll never buy a drink in town again. And I still do believe that to a degree. But he's done everything in his ability to erase all those great memories I have in 2017. Falling backwards in the end zone on that long touchdown catching the Cardinals back in what October of that year. 
you know, channeling the old Deshaun touchdown celebration, fighting off tacklers for key first downs in the Super Bowl and Super Bowl 52 back in February 2018. Dude, that feels like five lifetimes ago. And now you're this guy who's dropping touchdowns and then faking injuries to feign sympathy. What are you doing, dude? What are you doing? No one's giving sympathy for fake injuries. Everyone who saw that knew immediately. Like, what are you doing? Who do you think is falling for that? You're embarrassing yourself. I wonder what his teammates think. I'm not saying over the season overall. I'm sure there's a lot of bickering in the locker room right now just because there's always bickering in every locker room. There's always problems. There's always conflict. It's 53 people, 53 guys coming together with different personalities, different perspectives on the game, different perspectives on the contract, different perspectives on the coaching staff, their life, whatever have you. But when you're doing the things that he's doing, how does the, anyone in that locker room have any confidence whatsoever with him on the field? And are the players embarrassed watching him grab his knee? Oh, my knee. My knee hurts. Dude, no, it doesn't. You stink. That's the problem. Your knee doesn't hurt. It's not your knee's fault. It's your hand's fault. It's your fault. Just take it on the shoulder. Eat it. We'll respect you more for doing that. Between Nelson Aguilar, Tobias Harris, just fraud city right now. Fraudadelphia. Fraud, fraud, fraudadelphia. It just sucks, man. It's one of those things where, again, going back to like, oh, if you ever won in this town, you'll never buy a drink again. Just those cliches. Eagles fans, and they were true to, to a degree. Every cliche is based in reality a little bit. You know, I was one of those guys like, hey, if you won a Super Bowl, I won't care about anything you do the rest of your career. And I think Eagles fans who sold their soul for a Super Bowl, me included, people used to say, I don't care what happens afterwards. I don't care if they have a losing season for the next 60 years, the next 100 years. If they win a Super Bowl, that's all that matters. And I agree. Nothing will ever top that Super Bowl in my life. If the Eagles won another Super Bowl, it'll never be as good as the first time. Nothing will ever match the magic of January and February 2018. But it feels like one of those things where everything that could have gone wrong since that Super Bowl has and it's one and like the bet or the deal that you made with the devil, you're saying anything. I don't care what happens to the Eagles after this. They can lose every. They can have 25, 30, 50, 100, 3000 years of bad luck afterwards. And it won't matter because we had that one Super Bowl. And they've been entirely unlucky since we've been for nearly a year and a half now. We've been dealing with a Nick Foles versus Carson Wentz debate, which is just hair pulling. We've been dealing with. Doug Peterson regressing. I don't want to say if he's regressing, if he just lost his mojo. We have Mike Groh as offensive coordinator. The day Mike Groh is no longer an employee of the Philadelphia Eagles, I will be throwing a barbecue. Had key injuries. Deshaun comes back. Things don't go well. Alshon fell off a cliff, aged overnight as, as fast as a mouse now. Jason Peters has hurt every other game and he's really got outplayed by Andre Dillard. And the organization doesn't have the cones to say, look him in the eye and say, you're not playing just because of the cachet he holds in the organization. He might hold the most cachet of any player in Eagles history in terms of his influence on the starting roster, which is the reason Stefan Wisniewski is no longer a Philadelphia Eagle. Whether it's his position where he's saying, hey, I'm kind of healthy, but not really because I'm never healthy. Andre Dillard looked great against the Bears, against Khalil Mack. Yeah, he's hitting the bricks. And Dillard might have to play right tackle next week with how Lane Johnson's concussed. I don't know if what his injury situation is just of right now. But Andre Dillard should be the left tackle of this team. And it's ultimately a situation where the Eagles are drunk in nostalgia. They're allowing Jason Peters to dictate the offensive line of this situation, even though the Eagles have a better chance to win with Andre Dillard at left tackle. They brought Deshaun back, which is obviously, obviously a move I love. But there was no contingency plan whatsoever to supplicate his 
constant injuries with fast wide receivers. They drafted another slow wide receiver, a guy who sucks, and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. They brought Vinny Curry back, who's been a complete zero this year. They brought Darren Sproles back for God knows why. He's finished his season early because he got hurt for the third year in a row and then retired finally a movie should have done years ago. And bringing him back necessitated the Eagles to bring back Jay Ajay this week because they needed someone to play immediately who was familiar with the offense because they painted themselves in such a poor corner without having a real third string running back on the roster, a third down running back, a guy who changed the pace. And now you have Boston Scott doing that when he's really ill-equipped to do so. They have Jordan Matthews back because they painted themselves in the corner. They didn't adequately address the wide receiving position in the offseason, whether it be picking up Aguilar's $9.4 million option, not trading him, bringing back Deshaun with any out any depth in terms of speedy outside receivers, taking Ortega Whiteside over Terry McLaughlin, DK Metcalf, and other talented receivers who would be much, much better in this offense than Matt Collins, Ortega Whiteside, Aguilar, etc., etc., they guaranteed Alshon Jeffrey's contract for 2020 immediately before the season, the week leading up to week one, and he's precipitately fallen off a cliff since then. He's, he's bad right now. He's not a good NFL receiver right now, and his contract is guaranteed next year. And then it doesn't add up because the whole thing was, oh, they draft Ortega Whiteside. He looked good in the preseason. He's the eventual outside replacement. He'll be the starting outside re- receiver in 2020. Alshon will get cut. Hey, thanks for your handful of years here. You're Super Bowl here. You did great. You made some big plays for us. Thanks. We'll see you at the Eagles Hall of Fame ceremony in a decade. But just everything, every move they made this offseason hasn't worked out. That Alshon contract guarantee might end up being one of Harry Roseman's worst moves. Harry Roseman's lost his mojo a little bit. I don't know where the Eagles do this offseason. Even if they stick in the playoffs, they win a game or two, they cannot go into next season with the same type of roster construction, the same kind of coaching staff that they have right now. I'm fed up. Playing Seattle, we'll get into that a little bit after the break. Eagles need to be better. Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz, Harry Roseman this offseason needs, needs to be better. I'm not calling for his job. I'm not calling for Doug's job. I will not do that anytime soon. But things need to get fixed. Things need to be fixed. That starts with, in my mind, the most important position on this team that is not being adequately addressed right now is wide receiver. And that needs to change. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. So this weekend, the Eagles were originally stated to play against the Seattle Seahawks at 8.30 primetime Sunday night football game on November 24th, this upcoming Sunday. That game got flexed out of that spot because of how poorly the Eagles have been playing. And now they're playing at 1 o'clock. And initially you'd think, okay, you have a West Coast team coming to East Coast. You'd rather play at them at 1 o'clock and 8 o'clock. But 
Seattle is so good. And over the last handful of years, they're so well coached under Pete Carroll. And Russell Wilson is right now, to me, the NFL MVP, maybe the best player in the NFL right now. It doesn't matter because those guys won those games anyway because they're so talented. You know, every week, every week of my life, I convince myself the Eagles are going to win. And I just don't know if I have that this week. I feel like the Eagles will never, ever, ever beat Russell Wilson. It's sickening. That guy, it's just the, I think they're cursed by him because for those who don't remember, back in 2012, the NFL draft. So the Eagles are coming off an eight and eight year. Vic was hurt. They had Vince Young fill in for him. A little bit of upheaval, not knowing what Vic's future was with the team. They needed to get younger at the position. They needed a young guy. So in the second rounds, the Eagles are up. Russell Wilson is on the board. And Andy Reid and Howie Roseman are sitting there thinking, we love Russell Wilson. We spoke to him before the draft. He has all the intangibles. He's going to make a great, great NFL quarterback. But it's the second round, and we believe we can get him with our third round pick. So why not stack an extra talented player? So the Eagles selected Vinny Curry in the second round. By the time their next selection rolled around, Russell Wilson was no longer on the board and was drafted by the Seattle Seahawks. And until the Eagles drafted Wentz, and Wentz became the player he was in 2017, they, they were a little cursed by that. The guy's always beaten them since. The Seattle Seahawks have had a winning record in all of Russell Wilson's seasons. He's never missed a game, started immediately as a rookie in 2012, won a Super Bowl in his second year, made the Super Bowl again in his third year before losing to the New England Patriots. And that guy is just so talented. I have nightmares over that 2014 game, Chip's second year. The Eagles were playing a four o'clock game at home against Seattle. They were wearing their black uniforms and Russell Wilson just ran around that entire field. No one could touch him. Vinny Curry is getting... Ironically, Vinny Curry, given that he's the guy the Eagles drafted over Russ, just spinning out of control as Russell breaks tackles, spins out of the pocket, moves around, throws fantastic, accurate balls on the run. Wilson's that guy. And the Eagles' defense is better than we're getting credit for this year. Holding Tom Brady and the Patriots to 17 points on Sunday was great. They gave up one touchdown, and that was just that dumb, dumb Edelman double receiver pass, fake screen thing that they always run. And the Eagles were not ready for all the trick plays that they're going to throw them. You knew Belichick and the Patriots were going to run those things, given the little pseudo rivalry they have with the Eagles. And I don't know, man. I do not have a good feeling about this game. I convince myself we're going to beat the Patriots. I don't know. It's it's early. It's Tuesday. It's 11.46 a.m. Eastern time on Tuesday. I am not quite ready to talk myself into them beating the Seahawks just yet. I'm sure by 12.50 p.m. on Sunday... I'll be all ready about the Eagles stopping Russell Wilson for the first time ever. But right now, I'm not feeling good. Russ is awesome, and Seattle's defense has improved this year. They're great. I think they might be in second place right now in the NFC West, but I still truly believe they are the best team in the NFC. Best team in the NFC. So I'm not feeling good. The defense is encouraging. The pass rush isn't great, and I don't think they're really going to have the guys that you need to be the personnel capable of stopping Russell Wilson. Are they going to use a QB spy? Are they going to use Camus that way? Are they just going to bring four guys? I don't think having four guys, Seattle's offensive line hasn't been great the last couple of years, but that guy is just unbelievable. And I think they're Seattle's due for a big Jadavon Clowney guy game because of how well he's played this year since Seattle traded for him, uh, you know, a couple months ago from the Houston Texans. The Eagles should have been in on Clowney, and that Seattle got him for what a third round pick or whatever. The Eagles couldn't cough that up. The Eagles couldn't have coughed that up. Imagine this defense which is improving by the game with Jadavon Clowney. That probably wins them an extra game or two so far this season. Come on, Howie. Get it together. Get it together, Howie. Will the Eagles ever beat Seattle? Again, I don't know. Not as... I don't know. 
this is what I keep coming back to this week when I'm trying to convince myself the team's going to win. The best Eagles team of my life, 2017. Maybe the best Eagles team ever. Probably. Played Seattle. Carson Wentz was playing at an unbelievable level. The rest of the entire Eagles team is more talented and better than they are currently. Again, they were playing in Seattle, but the Eagles were 9-1 and or whatever, and they went in there and lost. And that Seahawks team was much worse than the Seahawks team the Eagles were facing on Sunday. And again, there's a difference between playing Seattle on the road and Seattle in Seattle. But just the way this Eagles team has played against Russell, Pete Carroll, and the Seahawks over the last you know half dozen years to a decade inspires zero confidence for me for them to win. I hope I'm wrong. I thought I thought Sunday was going to be the game. This past Sunday was going to be the game where like, oh, everyone's counting on the Eagles. They're going to surprise everyone and win that one game they shouldn't have and bring us all back on the bandwagon and get our hopes up once more as the Philadelphia Eagles are wont to do. But I'm not just there yet with Seattle. Again, by Sunday when I'm walking in that stadium, Miller Light in my hand, chugging it before going through the security line, I'll be ready for the Eagles to stop Russell Wolfen. But right now, Tuesday, 10 of noon, I am not ready for it. I'm nervous. I don't want the ball to stop in the season just because they lose. I don't want to be 5-7. and seven. I don't want to be out of it yet. Just Even if they don't win the division, just get me to December. Get me to December caring about this team, thinking that they can make a postseason run. Win this game. They needed to split New England and Seattle. They needed to split those two games. Preferably winning against Seattle because of the NFC potential playoff tiebreakers. They need to win on Sunday. Season's over if they don't win. Season's over. They, need to, they essentially need to run the table right now. They need to end of the year 10-6. and six. They need to beat Dallas. They need to beat up on those crappy NFC East teams. They need to beat Miami and Miami, who stink. This is the toughest game left on their schedule. This is the toughest. If they win, the season's on the line, Sunday. The season is on the line. What is Doug Peterson made of? What is Carson Wentz made of? Is Doug going to flip his playbook back to 2017-2018 and get fun again, get creative? Let Carson Wentz beat Carson Wentz. Let him play hero ball. They're going to go down swinging. If they're going to go down, go down swinging. Go down swinging. Go down swinging. Let Carson be Carson. Let him roll around. Let him throw the ball. Don't be conservative. Don't just pound the rock all game. Run a trick play or two. Get creative. Do something different. Just put all the effort out. Just lay it all out there. Lay it all on the line. Essentially, last game of the year can't hold anything back. It's not the last game of the year, but it might be the last game that matters this year. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's not the last game that matters. But we need, we need some of that 2017 magic back. I was saying this last week against New England and it didn't happen. Again, New England is a fantastic defense, the best defense in the league, a potentially an historically great defense. So it didn't necessarily work. They only put up 10 points, 10 measly points at home. But Seattle ain't New England on defense. They need to score 25, 27 points. I need it. I need it for my own sanity. I need it for the part of me that's a Carson Wentz stand. It's a Doug Peterson stand. I need those guys to illustrate the confidence I have in him and illustrate that to the entire city and the entire fan base. We need a win. Again, I'm Seamus Clancy. This is from the Bleachers. You can follow me on Twitter at Seamus underscore Clancy. You can subscribe to my daily Philadelphia sports and pop culture newsletter. Monday through Friday, delivered to your inbox every morning. Costs just $2 per month. So you get essentially 20 newsletters per month for two bucks. Just two bucks. Two bucks. You can check that out. The link in my Twitter bio or Log on to patreon.com backslash Seamus underscore Clancy. Sign up, forward it to your friends, spread the word. Again, Seamus Clancy. Go birds, baby.